Hello, Podnutsians. Welcome to The Makers, Episode 11. My name is Door-to-Door Geek. This is the podcast where we are all about making, breaking, learning, printing, CNCing, crafting. And I think we're also going to get into a little bit of uh, entrepreneurship uh, because I think they honestly go a little bit hand-in-hand once you hit a certain level, is what I'm going to say. We are joined this week by uh, Brett. How's everything going, man? It's going good. I uh, I agree with that. The entrepreneurship does kind of creak its ugly head sometimes, but uh, yeah, it's it's really fun. And I I've, I've been doing uh, a few litho panes. I've been doing a few uh, different little you know reorganizing a shop just to set up a new place to work, and yeah, all kinds of fun stuff this week. Well, I'll say the only constant is change. Um, if you can see the change coming, it definitely lightens uh, the effect. But when it comes out of the blue, that's where you really got to just uh, sit down and focus and just try to keep doing beneficial things, I'll say. Um, uh, I did hear um, it was somebody doing, I want to say it was that RGB podcast that I suggest you to. A guy was doing... Um, there were actually some Nintendo games that somehow fell out of some kind of copyright. But these are games, honestly, you've never even heard of. Um, like, one of them I want to say was called Wrecking Crew, which, I mean, I like to think I know video games, and I watched a video on the damn game, and I'm thinking to myself, I have never seen this video game before, and it was a black box for the NES cartridge that had a limited release, and apparently it fell out of copyright. So... I'm what I tried to find that I couldn't find was an actual like database of show me everything that's out of copyright in the realms of video games and and there has to be something like that but something tells me it's not easy to find. Yeah, um and come to find out that even the abandonware games you can still get in trouble for um which is you know it's very rare to get in trouble but you know it's it's still a little bit more than I'd like to risk, at least right now. But, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. I will say there is, I think, a solution to it. Don't know what it is yet, though. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll figure something out. Very cool, very cool. Uh, we're also joined this week by Chad. Uh, Chad, did you do any building, breaking, or learning this week? I did some building. Um, no real breaking learning or relearning i should say i haven't ran any abs for a long time and i've got some customer parts that needed to be well they need to be able to withhandle withstand some temperature and vibration stuff so i had to do them in abs and it's been a while since i've worked with it it was that pla is so nice to work with and abs it's it's a little trickier but i got it Figured out my temps and my speeds and stuff and got it working again. But I've just been working on customer stuff this week. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, a uh, complete noob question. ABS is more hot temperature tolerant than PLA, correct? Yeah, so it can take the, the higher temperatures. Um, what I'm doing is a, there's a motor mount and the motor creates some heat, so... Um, it's got to be out of ABS to hold the strength and hold the motor in place. So, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, my my uh, go-to is I always try to remember if I want to create a mount 
inside of my car because inside of car temperatures can go crazy. That can't be PLA. That's going to have to be a- ABS. Well, ABS or a pet G or even a vinyl, you know, some of those materials would work for that. PLA exposed time, you know, time and temp, it will start drooping and losing, distorting. So you do have to watch that. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'm happy you're doing customer things. Busy's good, no matter what. You'll much rather have customer stuff to do than not. I just hope it doesn't become uh, overwhelming without proper compensation is the way I'll put it. No, I, I, I make, you know, I charge enough that it's worth my time to do this stuff. But um, I just got my CNC router, the MPCNC, running how I want it to again. Actually, it's performing awesome. So now I'm starting to get some customer stuff done that's been on backlog for that. And I've got, I had a customer call me or text me last week. Oh, when are are you going to have my clock done for me? And it's like, uh... It's a mechanical error right now. As soon as I get going, uh, you're first on the list. So I've got so many of these things to do. It's like I don't have enough time to do them. I just don't. Well, hopefully they'll they'll make enough money to where, dare I say, you can have a second one sooner than later. Well, that or, you know, change careers. (laughs) You know, eventually I'd like this to be, you know, some of the other stuff I do combined with this, you know, make a little money and, be able to do this full time, you know. Absolutely. Uh, we're also joined this week by um, James. Hey, James, did you uh, build, break, or learn this week? I actually uh, didn't break anything that I can think of offhand this week, which is the first time in a while. I uh, did a little bit of building, um, mostly in CAD, some in actual meat space. Um, Started working on a an interesting project this week um, for uh, there's a, a guy at the makerspace I work at who does like haunted houses and puzzle rooms and stuff like escape games. He's got like a, a escape games franchise, um, and uh, he needed somebody to uh, design uh, this. It's like this lab experiment puzzle with all these like colored liquids and stuff. And since we do like water cooled PCs, uh, you know, he was asking me about it and it's winding up where I'm going to build this cool puzzle thing. Somebody else is going to do the programming, Arduino programming, but like, um, I won't try and explain it too much just yet. Um, but basically like you have all these colored liquids and you're supposed to take these jars that have, have like magnetic ferrofluid in them and they also have an RFID tag concealed in the lid. So you got to like pick the right jar and put it under the thing and it like, you know, mixes the right liquids and all this stuff to solve the puzzle. But the cool thing about it is it's uh, for um, a uh, project that uh, like some of the Walking Dead cast and a few of the actors who played Jason are going to like go through. And they're going to, we can't videotape the gameplay. Like, they're not going to let me stick that up on YouTube. But they'll, like, let let me videotape the rest of it and put it up on YouTube. So that should be cool. But, yeah, I think all the actors who played Jason after Friday the 13th Part 4, plus a bunch of, like, the the B-list guys from The Walking Dead. (laughs) Like the bit part guys and stuff. Are gonna go. They're gonna be like the first to go through it. So that's kind of cool, you know. 
I'm like uh, nano famous, like by like proximity. <laughs> That's actually really cool. And I, and I tell you, those puzzle room, escape room, quest room kind of things, I literally despise them. I have no interest at all to ever be inside one, but... Well, thanks, Thor. Well, but here's the thing. But to design one or to be involved in making one, I think, would be frigging awesome because it's like a childhood dream of a video game designer, except in real life, which, I'm sorry, real life is always more interesting than anything fantasy. So I would find that to be extremely um, intoxicating, dare I say. Yeah, this should be pretty fun. Like, just the there's a few kind of technical, and I'll put it up on YouTube. Like, I'm gonna do a step by step of how we do the whole thing up on YouTube on uh, our channel on Singularity Computers, probably. But um, I, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be fun. So we gotta like simulate like different colored liquids mixing. I gotta figure out how to do that without mixing the liquids. So it's gotta you know happen over and over again. Um, Plus, we got a mix ferrofluid, which um, I don't know if you guys know what ferrofluid is, but it's like magnetic liquid. Uh, and it's oil-based, so it doesn't mix with water, with water-based coolant. So we'll have like these jars of like, it'll look like uh, some kind of, you know, day-glow green liquid. And then you'll stick it on a little pedestal and like these spikes of this magnetic fluid will rise up out of it. Because like the ferrofluid forms weird spikes and stuff when you stick it on a magnet. So I got to like make these tubes that, you know, you say you got three colors flowing. I got to figure out how to like have a loop. Say you got a red and a yellow, um, have a, a loop of that fluid running that looks like it's feeding into another loop. So you're like making orange without actually mixing the colors. So, you know, it's like I have to have an orange loop and somehow fake people out, you know, make it look like it's mixing. Should be pretty interesting. But, uh, yeah, it's all just going to be, you know, a little Arduino and some solenoids and uh, some of our water cooling products and stuff, you know, kind of just jammed together into something cool looking, hopefully. But, yeah, I get about a month to figure You You stopped. What's that? You stopped transmitting. Uh, oh, that's weird. Yeah, internet here is kind of sketchy right now. Um, but, yeah, I get about a month to finish that up. So, yeah, I'll keep you guys updated on how it goes. Maybe I'll put something up on the YouTube channel. Well, I'll throw an idea out because, like, um, uh, there's actually a statue, I think, in Cincinnati. And Ripley's Believe It or Not has this kind of stupid thing. Multi-layered tubes. Inner tube, let's say, yellow and a liquid lighter than water. So the yellow is at the top. Outer tube, so layers of tubes. Orange, heavier than water. So it's clear two separate layers. And then all you have to do is basically push water through one to make the layer come up and then in, through it it will at least look like it's mixed but it oh is. like displace it with water so it's like floating on the water <clears throat> oh that's yeah that's that's a good idea actually yeah i think i get what you're saying i'll say that's just one idea and i could see honestly just having my business being nothing more than putting contracts out for the best ideas for these kind of rooms because something tells me you let 10 percent of the people just ponder for a couple minutes on what kind of ideas would be good for these traps and i think you would get some pretty ingenious ideas that would be cool but they super tightly control like how like who i talk to about this like i it's like there's stuff i can't say about it and all that like they like 
they're very, very, very um, paranoid, I guess. Like, if, if you have, like, one of these puzzle room games, you, like, sign this contract that you won't run the game within a five-hour drive of other people who, like, run that same game and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's like, yeah, like, you can't really... Like, I'd have to stay really, really, really basic. You know, I'll only be able to show stuff on YouTube after the fact. Like, they, they, you, you can't really, like, get into the particulars at all about how you're doing this stuff until people have seen it already. Like, you know. Right, because they run these games for, you know, a month or whatever, you know. Some of them run for years, but yeah. yeah. I've got a couple friends that do it. They travel and go to as many as they can. And it's a big competition to them. I mean, it's a big deal. You know, you, yeah, they don't want to know anything about it. They don't, they want to go in totally, you know, they'll know the the theme of it. That's all they want to know. Some of them don't even want to know the theme. They just go into it and there you are, you know, so. Okay, well, James won't say it, then I'll say it. It's for the Trump White House, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the puzzle is how are you going to unscrew the economy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if there's backing out that screw. Yeah, I think that's beyond anybody's power at this point. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll say I didn't really do a lot of building, breaking, and learning. Um, I will have a link in the notes. I'll have to find it. Uh, I, I had a complete failed printing that happened. Um, I'm sure everyone has seen it. Uh, it's like triangles, snake where you can pivot them uh, 360 degrees and you could make a straight line out of it or bend it, bend it, bend it, bend it and make, you know, squares, rectangles, cubes, different shapes out of it. Um, there's one, and it was a kid, I always had one kind of thing because I was always into like pure mix Rubik's cubes and little puzzles like that. And I saw that online and I tried to print it the connecting O-rings between the shapes didn't come out right. So, and of course, stupid me, I took one of them, put it on the bed, then I said, duplicate 15 times. So there's a lot of filament that I got thrown away. So I'm going to try to print just one and see if I can get it to come out better. That's really the only building or breaking I did. Um, the real topic, for me at least, was I sat my son down and I went over all kinds of business uh, posturing and priorities. Because I'm, I'm not an expert at this whatsoever, and my son is my son. He has no experience in this either. So it's going to be the kind of thing that we're going to both learn along the way. But it has basically ceased my desire to print things because he's the priority now. If he's going to do this, he's going to be the priority on that printer. His jobs are going to come first because they're going to have the possibility to make money. So uh, what we're doing now is we're getting some base designs down, some base printings down. We're going to put them in the light box, take pictures of them. So at least we have something to populate like the Etsy store with to show what kind of prints can be done. Um, we also have um, Jonas uh, here. Hey, hey, man, did you do any building, breaking, or learning this week? Oh, just a little bit. So I had a thing here. I broke my uh, Windows 8 install. I was trying to install my 64-bit version of Windows 8 on a virtual machine so I could run Fusion 360, and that didn't work. Yeah, 64-bit in, I'm going to guess, VirtualBox. There is a little trick you got to do to get it to install correctly. It installed. It just doesn't boot off the, uh, the image. It's... Uh, Burt Manager, not which is QEMU, 
So a little bit different than VirtualBox. Gotcha, gotcha. And learned, I got into the list of printing a little bit more. I'll get into that later. And then I built a uh, 15,000 volt arc making little circuit I got off of eBay. 15,000 sounds like a lot. It makes a neat spark. That's cool. What's that for? Is it just because you want a neat spark? Well, I kind of got the wrong thing. I, I wanted to make a uh, light up a light bulb with uh, kind of like those domes you see and spencers and stuff. You touch it and it has a lightning arc to your finger but doesn't kill you. But this is the opposite of that, which I can kind of make a little mini uh, Jacob's Ladder out of, which I think I can build into something. It's the opposite, so it doesn't make a lightning arc, but it does kill you? No, th this one is a two-wire arc, so you've got to have, it only arcs between the two wires on the other side of the transformer, whereas the other one has a single output from the high-voltage transformer, and that's what you plug into one of those um, gas-evacuated globes, yeah, which will make yeah, a Yeah, they put like xenon or something in them, so it makes like, yeah, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, and you can kind of get the same effect out of an ordinary light bulb. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, um, I always think of those balls as some kind of Tesla thing, just because, you know, Tesla uh, electricity. Yeah, it's definitely in that group of fun stuff to play with. Well, it's kind of similar to like a Tesla coil, isn't it? Usually the thing in the middle is a thing called a Van de Graaff generator. There's a few different ways of uh, making them. It's a little different than a Tesla coil. A Tesla coil makes like super high voltage for a very short time and bursts. Like... Um, well, a Van de Graaff generator makes basically a super strong, constant static charge. They're actually yeah, really easy to build. Higher, yeah, usually a really much higher voltage. They're like 30 and 50,000 volt. Yeah. Low amperage, super high voltage. Exactly. Very cool, very cool. Um, yeah, I did say, um, um, literally I want to say now two months ago, you guys as a group, presented me with a link to the um, lithophane, I believe it's going to be pronounced lithophane. And I saw the link. I looked at the link. I opened the page. I didn't know what the hell I was looking at. I'm thinking, I don't know what the hell these guys are sharing this for. It looks like a slab of nothing. What the hell are they sharing this with me? Weeks later, Brett showed a picture. Oh, I think I get it now because litho I kind of get because I have a lithograph, so I understand taking a picture, digitizing it, blah, 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 blah. Lithophane, P-H-A-N-E, I'm not going to lie. I think I get it, but I'm really not convinced. Short, there's a web page you go to, you click a thing, you upload a picture, you click another thing, you download, I'm going to guess G-code. Actually, it's uh, it downloads into an STL. That is, I could only assume a little bit editable, but probably not very much. Um, for me, um, I actually got a program because that website uh, did not work for me at all. Um, and it basically, I don't know, someone can probably explain it a little better than I can, but um, there's different levels of uh, levels of thickness that allow different amounts of light through and so when you shine it up to a light it's incredibly detailed and it looks like the picture but when you just put it on the you know table it looks like a hunk of nothing yeah it's kind of like um 
you upload a photograph and they send you the STL. So you, like you have a panel, it prints like a panel and there's thin spots and thick spots in it. And the thin spots obviously let more light through. So like when the light, there's no backlight, it just looks like kind of a weird lumpy panel and you can kind of sort of see the shape of the picture in it, but it doesn't really look like it. But with, with it backlit, like it looks dead on like the photograph. It's, you know, in just, you know, black and white basically, you know, really, really cool. Like down to like minute detail. Like, yeah, I'm totally going to be making a bunch of these things for, you know, friends and family and stuff. It's a total, like, um, give it to grandma kind of gift, you know, lithophane or the grandkids or something like that. Yeah, um, I'm actually working on a uh, lampshade for my grandma um, that is going to be pictures of her hus- of my grandpa and his uh, hot rods, you know, all kinds of different uh, things going around it. And then when you turn the light on, you can see it, but when you turn it off, you know, it's just kind of a lumpy you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And then just real quick, you said you didn't use the web page. You used an application. What application did you use to create it? Uh, it's called Lithophane Enterprise. And I found it on a Chinese website that is that I had to translate. Um, it does cookie cutters. It does those weird light things where you uh, you shine a light through it at a certain height and the uh, the bowl turns into a f- um, a straight image on the on the uh, shadow. I don't know what those are called, but and it does all kinds of different things. But uh, I'll see if I can link to it in the notes because it's uh, it's a little hard to get used to, but it is very good. Yeah, I looked at the, the that website that we we're talking about, and I can't remember the exact. Three DP rocks. Here. 3dp dot rocks that's it um and i used it on my smartphone so um it looked like at least on the mobile version it does it all on the web server on the the website on the server side so i just pumped out an stl to my smartphone and i still haven't printed it but (laughs) it's you know it's it seemed like it didn't take any resources on my end. I don't know if it's different on desktop, though. I haven't even tried it on the desktop. So I tried it on desktop, and it, it's yeah, it's running in the browser. Like it doesn't do anything with your computer. It's all running in the browser, like a hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know why. Then my uh, well, the main problem with me was the OpenGL. I believe it had a problem viewing it. Yeah, you might have just had a problem viewing their viewer setup is, you know, maybe it didn't work with what your graphics card was putting out or whatever. Because it does all the coding and stuff and all the making the STL on the website, on the web server, so, on the website, on the browser, so. Well, yeah, but I'll say all modern browsers have hardware acceleration turned on by default. So it might have just been literally just the displaying of it in the browser could have went a little wonky and crazy. But also, I believe somebody said during the week that this was actually also a feature that was built into uh, the $150 uh, uh, um, 3D designer. Yeah, um, I actually, I I think I found it or someone told me about it. It was a, uh, it was an image to STL um, button on uh, Simplify 3D that worked 
relatively good, but it had not nearly enough options to make it usable, at least in, in, in my perspective. Well, there's hundreds of ways you can do this. I mean, you could texture map in in Blender. I've done it similar to this. You can texture map um, to a cube in Blender, and it will get... You stop transmitting. Oh, am I transmitting now? Yes, sir. Yep. Okay, so like Blender, it's just a lot more work. This website has broke it down into this fine, detailed, uh, easy-to-use setup, so... Yeah, I was looking at uh, uh, the 3D printing nerd, I think his name is, and uh, he did it on Blender, and it was it he it turned out really nice. So I was looking into Blender a little bit, but then you know Blender is very uh, very intricate. Yeah, I keep meaning to sit and learn it, but now yeah. I've got Moto, so I never will because Moto does similar stuff, and I paid money for. Stop transmitting. Yeah, Blender's great. I use Blender for video editing a lot, but I don't use it for modeling really ever. Um, I've always been meaning to learn, but uh, yeah, you can do so much in that software, but there's no way you'll open it up and just figure out how to use it. It's just not intuitive at all. Yeah, I've used Blender quite a bit, and oh my God, there's stuff that I've got hours and hours and hours of use on it, but there's no way you'd, any one person can know everything that software does. And it's all open source and free to use. So it is great software. If you really want to learn that type of software, it's great. But it is hard to learn. Yeah, the rendering engine in there is pretty awesome. Like video editing and stuff. Because you can get in there and you're like, oh, I want to render it on my CPU or I want to render it on my GPU. I want to give it this much RAM. And like they let you tweak every little setting. Um, that's all I really use it for, just because I just never had the time to sit and dig into it. Well, yeah, you can take video and put animation over it. I mean, it, it really does a lot of stuff. It really can. Yeah, it is definitely one of those crazy powerful tools that I know uh, uh, animation shops also can use to make um, uh, Big Buck Bunny or whatever that movie is and lots more stuff. Um. Jonas definitely has more stuff in the notes about the lithophane. Um, and I will say this. I was also misguided again because I thought it would have been like, remember, Jonas, the link you brought a couple weeks ago for the topographical map? I figured this lithophane was like that. Just instead of using the topographical map from Google, it used an image. So it isn't necessarily doing that. It's also doing thickness inside of the print itself. Um, yeah, actually, it probably is the same thing, but the thing is, because of the thinness of the back, it lets a lot of light through. So the thicker it gets in whatever spot is darker and lets a lot less light through. So I think that's basically pretty much the same. Gotcha, gotcha. And I can see making like little cubes for people where like three of the sides would be a picture. You know, you, you like press a button on it, the inside lights up and you can flip it to which side you want to show off whatever picture that you would like to show off. Um, this is the kind of thing I'm hesitant to show my son because he already has a billion things going through his head. But this is the one kind of thing I want to show to him because I'm sure he would like to print something for his cousins or for his mom that you know he just would think is the absolute most awesome thing ever. 
Yeah, it's pretty neat what you can do. Essentially, any photo will will work with this software. Well, and you found a link. It looks like they actually do have all of the source code to the back end of this website available on GitHub. Yeah, you can. Well, that's uh, cool. Yeah, you can download that software and install it locally. I tried it really quickly. I didn't get it to work. There's a there's a folder with an HTML file and all the JavaScript files in another folder, but um, it didn't work out of the box for me locally. But I was able to use the uh, the website on Chrome inside of uh, Arch Linux, which was all right. Um, it did crash on me a couple times. If if I went back two or three times between changing model settings and image settings. Um, if I did that enough times, it would crash, but I just uploaded my photo again and did it again and it worked fine. So um, I never had a problem getting a picture of work. Now, do you think they're translating everything into grayscale and then just uh, bump mapping it off a of grayscale? That's pretty much what they're doing, isn't it? That's yeah. exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And you can see when you put your image in there, it turns gray just before it renders into a you know a, a bit a bump map of the the picture. So in all actuality, this has been around for a while. There's um, image to G code and different other things that do the same thing, but this website just packages it into a nice format for STLs, you know, and it it's just yeah. I think it was takes a, about a year work. old. I think it's about a year old already. Um, but they there's some current blog information. I think they're maybe adding different features over time. And so I think it just popped up again because maybe they added something new. Yeah, I'll say looking at the commits, it looks like uh, I can see commits going back into 2015, January 30th, 2015. Uh, yeah, these guys, uh, they've been at this for a while. Yeah, and they actually dig into the theory in a few spots on the blog post, which is kind of interesting if you're into the math part. I'll have to check that out. Um, yeah, I want to try actually machining, like at a maybe Delrin or white Delrin or something like that. I don't know, machining some lithophanes. I think uh, you could probably, um, you know, get even better results in 3D printing if you did it with a small enough tool. I mean, you'd have to machine for ages. But uh, yeah, I want to try machining out of something kind of translucent to do this with. Yeah, could you imagine the hours of the CNC machining with a small V bit to get that to? Oh, I've done a lot of it. Like I've had parts where I have to service mill something for like two days straight. So <laughs> you get used to waiting. Yeah, the little tools you don't even know when you've broken your tool because it's so small. It doesn't really sound any different. <laughs> well, there's no sound of material removed because it's just so small. It just your spindle is going to make more noise than that tool will. So, you know. Yep. I used to uh, do some troubleshooting at a shop that was a client of ours that regularly used uh, tiny little end mills that were, uh, you know, 15,000th diameter end mills. And uh, every 30 seconds, uh, it would lift off and touch a little probe just to see if they broke their end mill. There's just no way to tell. 30 seconds, huh? Yeah, every that's, 30 that's seconds. A- they were they machined parts like the size of a grain of rice though, so it's really high dollar stuff, and you know that end mills went like that. You know, it's like they they go through end mills like crazy because they're so tiny. I mean, you you hold up the end mill and all you see is a shank tapered down to nothing. You can't even see the end mill. So 
Yeah, I used to work in medical, and we did this, what was called a ferrule connector, and uh, it had an 11 thou hole in the side of it in titanium, and we would go through drill bits on that like crazy. I mean, you'd go through, it was nothing to go through one every seven parts, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's how these little end mills are. Like, they'll go through three 10,000 end mills on one little part, you know. And yet they're checking it every 30 seconds because they have to. <laughs> it was, you know, they're charging high dollar for this stuff, though. But I'd, I'd EDM a hole that size in titanium. That's kind of off the subject, I guess. Well, we, we tried it, but it there was an issue with it. I, I sit here and explain it on here is a little, a little more than, you know. But uh, it just didn't work EDMing it because of uh, it was only one side of it, and it was in a spot that was hard to hold in an EDM machine. It was it was weird. EDM for us noobs is what electro discharge machining. Basically, you uh, take uh, an electrode you. and uh, burn away. It's super accurate. It's super super accurate. Um, and um you can do super detailed stuff with it basically like there's you can uh drill tiny 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 holes with it you'd never be able to do with a drill um you can make shapes you wouldn't be able to machine they'll machine like a graphite electrode that's the shape you want to make um and you put the part in a bath of an electrolyte that uh or a, a, a dielectric sorry electrolyte's the opposite a dielectric fluid that blocks electricity from you know it's it's non-conductive so you take a, uh, a graphite um, electrode that's the shape you want to make in the metal or whatever, and um, there's a super high voltage applied to that. So when it touches the part, it arcs and it burns away that spot. But because it's in a liquid that uh, insulates it from conducting, it only touch, like arcs where it touches. So you just burn a super accurate exact hole into it to shape your electrode. So... For things that are too small or detailed to machine, using normal methods, you use an EDM machine. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff, but, yeah, it's a little beyond. It's not DIY. <laughs> Probably a little oh, bit beyond this yeah, podcast. I don't think anybody's going to be making one of those at home. I mean, that's that's a little beyond. Just we just picked one up at the makerspace. I don't know what we're going to do with it, but we got a used old one for only 1500 bucks. so we're like, oh, why not? Just a plunger? Yep. So, like, um, they use a lot of the plunger EDMs for finishing out molds. So you rough out a mold for injections, you know, aluminum injection or plastic injection, and then they'll EDM out the fine details with, you know, the graphite. They machine the graphite dye, basically. It's like a dye, and you plunge it in there, and it just cleans up the hole, and you're done. You know, super sweet. Yeah, and you can do like sharp corners, like corners of a cube with it that you can't really machine because, you know, an end mill is round and, you know. Well, that and it's cut cut the cost of making molds down by so much because you just machine out some graphite and make the mold, you know. Yeah, that's crazy accurate too. There was a demo um, when they first invented this stuff like a couple decades ago where they somebody would EDM the the sales guys i guess that were trying to push edm as a method would uh, edm a block of steel into a dovetail joint 
and the dovetail joint would slide together and apart, but then you could hold the dovetail that the put together in your hands and you couldn't slide it apart because the heat from your hands would distort it enough to where you couldn't slide the thing apart. The thing was so accurate, like down to the micron level that just the heat from your hands distorted enough to lock it together. It's it's really cool. I got to see a a demo piece a guy had doing that once when I was at a trade show. It was fun. Very cool. Um, Sounds like a heck of a mold. Yeah. Um, It it, it, uh, looks like in the notes that you um, did some more with the lithophanes and a uh, friend, Jonas. Oh, yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine doing some website work for her, and she's a local artist here. So she paints all kinds of Hawaii scenes of, of things. Um, link in the show notes, suswerloart.com. You know, she paints $1,000 canvas artwork and all kinds of different stuff. And um, I was showing her some 3D stuff, and she said, well, hey, why don't we make some uh, keychains or something or some little something you can hold in your hand to sell? And so I was telling her about the lithophane stuff, and so I've been making some of those things this week. So I've been using um, just a regular white PLA, and I also did some with the bamboo PLA. And then I also did a, uh, a little velocity painting with some clear. And there's some pictures in the show notes there. So I've got a picture of the, uh, the one that I made in the painting that it's originally from at the end of the series. So you guys can check that out. So I did a a little test. Um, they're all small. They're you know two by three inch or so. Um, if you look at them really close, they look pretty terrible. But if if you hold them kind of half arms length to the light, you can actually see the little scene you know down to the little you know thatched roof under the palm trees and the images there. Pretty neat. So I think that's probably about as small as you can make at least these kind of scenes with uh, that method. Um, I'm sure it would look a lot better with a bigger thing that you can get a little more detail on. But really, the the best pieces of the work that you can see are wherever it's wider or wherever it has kind of a, a wide gradient from one color to the other. Um, that t- tends to come out better. Anything with, you know, pencil line drawing seems to get lost in the, uh, in the graphic. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Also, I'll, I'll say for these being small, I'm kind of impressed. I didn't think it would show that clearly. The especially the one with the um, palm trees in the background. When you're holding it up, it to me looks pretty damn clear. Yeah, they look really good. Yeah, those pictures. I'm not. Sh- those pictures are only 800 tall, but you know the original is 3,000 you know pixels across. And if you look at it, you can see it just looks like a mound of molten PLA that somebody just kind of poured out as a mistake, if you look at it too closely. But uh, yeah, if you you hold it arm's length, you can actually see something there. And so um, we're going to go over these this weekend and and see what she wants to do with it. The PLA works out pretty good for if you want to have light show through it. Um, With that lithophane program on the web page, you can go into, I think it's the image settings, you can set it to be either a negative or a positive image. And if you look at the palm trees with the light background, you can see like where the sky is is light. That's the positive one. And where the sky is dark, that's the negative one. So just like, you know, old, you know, negative photograph that you'd get processed. It's the same kind of thing. So um, the things that you want 
dark, you know, would be the positive side, um, and vice versa if you want negative. But yeah, the, the white turned out pretty good. The bamboo is not translucent at all. I did do a flat one, but this example is a, uh, that's the pillow template. So there's there's like five or six different templates. You can do a dome, you can do an, an open-topped, you know, round thing like a carousel. Um, there's all different kinds of shapes you can you can pick on that uh, that website, um, but I thought the bamboo was kind of neat because essentially you're kind of drawing what you might see and see out, but it's wood, so it looks like you know someone could have maybe carved that conceivably if it didn't look so terrible. But you know it's a concept, something to play with. And then the last one was. Uh, I made a pillow shape, just a, um, I took like the spline and made one arc and then mirrored the arc over the center line and made kind of a extruded a pillow shape out of it. And then I took that and I applied a little fisherman image to that shape in the velocity painting. Um, that's a Perl script that I downloaded I've been using. That's the one where you can you can actually get like a Windows, they have like a Windows tool on that website. And that one I just did a using the edge uh, filament from E3D that I've had for other things and um, that one came out pretty good but again if you look at the original image you can see where this is a, a line drawing so it's just pen and ink and wherever there's a shadow she's drawn kind of a crosshatch pattern to make the shadow in different varying degrees which is you know that's how you draw stuff but when you do the the um, velocity painting with that um, you lose a lot of the detail wherever there's a shadow drawn that way but you can kind of see wherever it's a wide darker light patch you can really see that come through good in the uh, the velocity painting example yeah it's just the picture has more gradient more scales of gray where the velocity printing um i don't want to say it, it doesn't have as many but they're not as clearly defined like his arms you can see unbelievably clear uh where his face it's really difficult right and wherever there's a transition where there's a sharp transition and contrast from one to the other and it's a little wider pattern um that tends to come out a lot better very cool very good stuff so I have a little list here just of things that I found. Um, too much details lost on the small prints. Um, again, what we just talked about, wide solid areas or wide smooth gradients of color or tone work really well um, for either one of these. Um, shadows kind of get lost unless they're a high contrast between light and dark. And then um, on these, the original image that I used was one of the website images. And there's actually a border apply to the image. So I, I would have a picture of the canvas and then I'd add a white and then a black border to the outside of that canvas for the website as kind of a little frame for the page. But using the lithopane or lithophane process, it actually makes a nice little raised frame around it. So if you're going to take one of your pictures or photos um, and, and stick them through that process, um, you might think about trying it with a either light or dark, you know, negative image around the edge, and you can make yourself kind of a little display box around the thing that you print, which kind of works out kind of neat. 
Yeah, that's very cool. So you can give it more of a um, physical border around it just by putting the black edge around it or white, depending if you do positive or negative. Right. And if you're making something, you know, small, handheld, it's kind of nice to have a built-in frame and you don't have to do anything extra. Very cool. Oh, there's, very there's cool. also a video link on that um, on the Velocity painting one where I, I turned it over in my hand so you can kind of see the sides and kind of how it looks all the way around the thing. Very cool indeed. Was Aaron coming back? Uh, no, Aaron is shooting a, a, a arrow at things in the woods. Hopefully oh, okay. not people. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. He's not the weatherman. No. Did you guys check out his link of the uh, the different free and non-free software stuff for 3D making? Uh, I saw the link and I bookmarked it, but it looked like a, a lot of words, so I skipped it for now. Same here. I've been playing with one, um, stephanginlier.com, the Sculpt GL. Um, that one looks pretty neat. You can import an STL file, and it's kind of like Blender in your browser. So it does the Blender model manipulating some of the features. Not, you know, obviously not all the features, but you can um, basically paint with pinching the uh, the mesh file. So you import your STL, and it gives you like a, a shaded version of your your thing. And then you can just draw on it basically like you're manipulating clay or, you know, extruding things out in spots or indenting them in in spots. And you can kind of just play with the shape without, you know, having to, to you know, know all the little CAD tools of, you know, click this thing here and drag it here and make this line and, you know, do this other thing. It's just kind of a, a play medium of uh, manipulating your model. And then you can also export it into an STL and then, of course, stick that in your 3D printer and, you know, print that if you want. Wow. Pretty cool. It looks like there's like 20 different things on that that link, which uh, it just a, looks like a good resource to discover new things to play around with. Yeah, I'm looking at it now, and it's it's got a ton of stuff. Yeah, this is cool. I'm just now checking it out. So it's also got you know the stuff we use, Tinkercad, and I think it has Blender and Fusion 360 and other things, plus the paid version of Fusion, and it's got you know links to the what is that, that SolidWorks or whatever, that really expensive one that's kind of like on shape but not on the web? There's a few of those. You're probably thinking of SolidWorks, though. So. Yeah, it looks like there's a, there's a bunch of choices there, that's for sure. Wow, I'm sorry. This one in the browser sculpture, it's really powerful for just being a browser thing. Yeah, I'm playing with it right now. This is cool. Yeah, I kind of like it. It's like a slimmed down... Um... It's like just what you need for doing sculpting instead of all the stuff the blender throws in there for everything else. It's like ZBrush's sculpting tool and nothing else. Yeah, it's just the sculpting tool so far is what I've seen. I'm gonna have to take a look in deep into this. I like this. Yeah, so it it it's almost like Patrick Swayze's helping me form this. Oh, that's terrible. That's awful, Lore. Just don't play that music. And I... Sorry. I said don't. Don't drive off the listeners. <laughs> I think we're too late for that one. Um, That's a really cool link, and I will give Aaron credit, even though he's not here, even though he's ditched us, even though I believe he's now missed almost half of the shows. 
He just can't handle the walk. Exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Um, James, we, we we already talked some about the puzzle room, but you also wanted to talk about the internet in the box. Yeah, this is something I guess you'd call him a friend of the show is doing. Um that I volunteered to help out with. It's a really interesting project, and I think they're going to do a Kickstarter, so definitely check that out when they do. Basically, it's just a Raspberry Pi Zero with, uh, you know, a Linux distro on it. Um, but what it's for is for getting uh, cached Internet access to places where Internet isn't available, uh, Syria, Cuba. Um, talking to Josh last night about how we could get a bunch of these in North Korea. Um, but basically, um, we're going to uh, 3D print the prototypes. So I'm probably going to machine out uh, cases for these. And uh, what it is is uh, like a ruggedized kind of weatherproof um, stash of Wikimedia. Um, what it's first going to be used for is a bunch of medical data and stuff like that on Wikimedia. Uh, taking it to, you know, developing countries and stuff, clinics out in the middle of the tropics, you know, in the jungle or whatever. Um, and then after that's kind of proven out, branch out into other things. But it's pretty simple, you know, it's just a weatherproof case for a, a Raspberry Pi Zero um, and then some way to uh, load content, you know, on them. But basically what they're doing is they're going to load a couple gigs of web content on it from Wikimedia, and it's dead simple, and it just functions as a Wi-Fi hotspot. So what we want to do is, um, like I said, first just for kind of medical stuff, but then try and figure out a way to uh, kind of uh, have a sneaker net for places where they don't have Internet access. Um, so, you know, we want a way where people can update these and uh, kind of chain them together as a mesh network. Um, it's it's pretty interesting project. Um not a whole lot to say about it right now, other than I'll uh, be designing this here shortly. And if people are interested, I was thinking of doing a live stream of uh, how I'm going to design it in Fusion 360 just from start to finish, probably three, four hour live stream. Um, just, you know, uh, where to get the uh, Raspberry Pi CAD and then building a case around it and all that kind of stuff and the cam for the machining and everything. Uh, so if people are inter interested, uh, I'll do a live stream for that, and um, I'll uh, I'll send out a link. Maybe I'll put it off until after the next show when I have something a little more defined, uh, so I can uh, you know, put a link in the show notes. But um, yeah, it's going to be pretty simple, and it's going to be pretty interesting, I think. And if uh, you know if it becomes a Kickstarter, uh, yeah, check it out and. Uh, Basically, our goal is to try to make these things as uh, cheaply as possible and make as many of them as possible and uh, just get them to uh, places where people don't have Internet access. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in watching the live stream of, of the CAD stuff. Yeah, I'll do that then. Maybe I'll have to set up a channel for my, my uh, LLC or something because I probably should do that on Singularity computers because that's all gaming computer stuff. But uh, yeah, and I'll say anything that fosters disruption, I am completely on board with uh, putting these into countries where they're not welcome to me is maybe one of the things that could literally make me smile for weeks on end. Well, I just think it's a great 
thing they're doing is putting all that medical data on there. You know, it's all the medical Wikipedia stuff and putting in areas where they don't get a lot of service. And I think that's an awesome venture that they're doing. Yeah, and we were talking about kind of branching out from there, you know. Like, there's a thing uh, in uh, North Korea, you know, they have very limited internet access, obviously. Well, they have three IP addresses for the entire country. Yeah, so there's a kind of a black market sneaker net where people put the latest and, you know, hotness on the internet onto uh, USB sticks and just pass them around and stuff. Well, we were thinking what would be really cool is after we get the hardware all worked out and prove it out with the medical stuff, it would be really cool to make these into like capable of being a mesh network. So somebody could update theirs and when they're in proximity of somebody else's, theirs updates. And when they're in proximity of somebody else's, you know, theirs updates and you could transfer data, you know, across, you know, throughout someplace like North Korea, you know, undetected, you know, without any kind of transmission that can be detected, you know, more than, you know, 100 feet away or something like that. Um, there's people already doing stuff like this. Uh, it's pretty interesting, actually, like in Afghanistan and like Taliban controlled areas, apparently uh, he was telling me about this uh TV station that encodes a bunch of data into one of their audio tracks and it's a ultrasonic audio track. So you don't hear it, but uh, if you have the right, uh, you know, firmware um, in your cable box, uh, basically it's not exactly how it works, but that's the equivalent. You can decode the transmissions out of the, the uh, audio channel. You know, we're, we're throwing around ideas, uh, different ways to kind of accomplish this. But yeah, um, the hardware itself is going to be dead simple. I mean, I can de design something like this and do the cam and everything in a few hours, I think. Um, the main thing is going to be thermal management because a lot of these will be in hot, really humid areas. So we're going to make a couple versions. Uh, I'm going to put them through some environmental testing and uh, yeah, see how it goes. Um, if it gets as far as Kickstarter, I'll, uh, you know, I'm going to shamelessly plug this here because I think it's a good cause, you know, put links up and you know anybody who's interested do what you can oh if it's on kickstarter i'm gonna give it money i can tell you that right now yeah that sounds like a great thing to do i'm all in that's awesome yeah it sounds like a like a good cause um nintendo it made me actually think of the nintendo street pass um where as you walk by someone with a game uh, with if you're, they did it years ago. I don't know if it's even still being done, but if you walk by someone with a Nintendo DS on, it'll actually update their stuff at the same time. So it's kind of like what you were talking about. Yeah, similar kind of thing. Somebody actually a few years ago came up with a Bluetooth hack where you could distribute uh, data over uh, Bluetooth devices. You know, they were, I mean, they were using it for. Uh, you know, some gray hat stuff, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. I always wanted to do something like that. That'd be nice if you could do it with the Bluetooth 4.0 since it is low energy. Yeah, how many people? Um, it's like, I, I think probably Wi-Fi is um, going to be the best kind of method just because it's – Bluetooth is – is never never quite gotten there and never quite will just 
it's just not robust enough. I don't think for something like this, like there's too many data drops and things like that. I just don't think Bluetooth will, would, would be reliable enough um, where, you know, normal, I mean, it's all 2.4 gigahertz, but normal 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi protocols should be plenty good enough. Yeah, Bluetooth more is more if you want to do it undetected in an area that's already technologized um, because people watch Wi-Fi much more closely than they do uh, what's going on in Bluetooth land. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it should be a fun project. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of cool when you get to do something like this for a good cause because, you know, I don't know if you guys remember like phone freaking or anything like that, but we used to do stuff like that when we were younger just to, you know, cause trouble. <laughs> it's kind of nice to like, <laughs> you know, see do it for can. the good guys. <laughs> yeah, see if you can and like have it be um, legit, I guess you'd say. <laughs> we were uh, coming up with a bunch of stupid ideas. Like how could we parachute a bunch of these from a, you know, a weather balloon or something like that into Syria? <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing is you got to get these into the areas where they need them. You know, that's the biggest thing is it's yeah, needed the out part. there. You know, thing is, I mean, I can make these things tiny. What what Raspberry Pi were they basing it on? The zero or yep, so that'd be real small. I mean, biggest thing is going to be the case. You know, just these yeah, case pretty much. to hold everything. Well, if it has a battery, something tells me the battery is going to be comparable to the size of the zero itself um external power for these uh at least for the time being just for the sake of um cost and portability i mean we have to make these things absolutely as cheap as humanly possible gotcha gotcha and i would um i'm pretty sure josh does have a zero i would have him load up raspbian and uh inside of raspbian i believe there is a benchmark tool where he can turn the benchmark on as high as possible and leave that thing on for like a good couple hours and see what the temp is. Cause I don't think the processor temperature will be much of an issue cause it's a single core. At least I, I want, that's my instinct is telling me that where the humidity I think could be a bigger threat. Yeah. I'm with you. I think we can handle the humidity actually, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think we could do fine with an all plastic case because that's going to be the most affordable way to go. But we might have to stick into making an, uh, like an aluminum plate that's, you know, part of the case, if we have to, to, you know, as a heat sink. And I think that would take care of anything. But, yeah, I believe you're right. They're single core. Um, but it's, you know, there's going to be zero airflow around them. So it might be an issue there. But um, I'm going, uh, we got a little environmental chamber that I'll be testing these in. So I'll run them for a few days, benchmarking them at like, you know, 100% humidity and 95 degrees or something like that, or 100 degrees and see how they do. That's pretty much going to be the driver behind the case design is uh, how it handles temperature. Well, my big question is, um, so are you planning on 3D printing cases or how do you plan on doing it? Because if you plan on 3D printing cases, I would volunteer time, material, you know, X amount of a week or whatever doing. If you get a few of us to, you know, donate our 3D printers. That would be cool. I was thinking of doing them on the router, but it depends. Uh, It just depends on how it shakes out, you know, what's the most. Because, you know, it's time versus money versus material versus you know it's just whatever's going to be the cheapest um 
I think probably at smaller quantities, you know, if we're doing a dozen of them, 3D printing is going to be the cheapest way to go. Um, but I think once, you know, if we do a couple hundred, probably going to be uh, cheaper to do them on the router, you know, throw a slab of Delrin or hell, something cheaper than that up there and uh, you know, machine about. No, no, it's not. But, but I mean, I can make these so low profile, you wouldn't use much of it at all. It's nice to machine, right. but, but if you, you decide, know, even if it's something super cheap, if you but, do decide to go 3D printing, let me know because I will donate um, time material. Awesome! To yeah, I'll this, let Josh you know. know. Uh, I, I mean, it, we could it, probably it, get some stuff done fairly cheap if we everybody donates a little bit of time and a little bit of material to it. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Well, that's the thing. Like, if three or four people can donate time, then the cost 3D printing them is going to be cheaper than anything because, you know, it's donated. I mean, it would just be cost. I mean, we'd reimburse people for cost of materials or whatever. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I mean, you can't, <laughs> you know, I, honestly, what would be cool is if we could get, you know, 20 or 30 people who are happy to 3D print a few of these and, you know, stick them in an envelope and send them out you know, a week. So if we got a couple hundred. We're not weighing down any one person because if I'm keeping a machine busy all day, I have to charge something for that machine time. I have no choice. I'm wearing out that machine like like that machine costs money. to ha It takes up floor space, you know, where... If I'm doing it on the my 3D printer in the garage, I'm not going to charge anybody for that. You know, a dozen people like that can, uh, you know, we we could do this thing for nothing. I mean, just the cost of the zeros. I'm sure plenty yeah. of people have extra filament and time on their printer because nobody runs their machine all day every day unless they're doing one large print. And I could probably get a deal on filament wholesale from MSC. I used to work for them, and they gave me a – I shouldn't say this publicly, but I get a nice discount. I'll just say that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, my old boss wouldn't like me announcing that. But, um, yeah, I could probably get filament from them, like, at 10% above their cost or something. And, you know, by the pallet if I wanted. Very well, cool. you'd think someone at Zealtech would be glad to put their name on the project just to donate filament. Oh yeah, you're right. We could probably, you know, kind of guilt some company into <laughs> doing it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just got some cool samples from Form Labs. Uh, they're really trying to sell me a resin printer, and uh, they do look great. Uh, maybe I'll, that that that's a little more expensive, but they make great. Uh, that you know, they print great stuff. Maybe I'll try and guilt them into it. <laughs> String them out. Yeah, I might buy a printer. I'm not sure. Can you print me a few more samples? I need about well, a, 80 of these things. If, if, if it comes down to <clears throat> donating printer time, I'm in. So Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I was going to say, and if any listener wants to um, uh, put their name in the hat for donation of their uh, printer or in supplies, just send us an email at themakers, M A K E R Z, at podnuts.com. Yeah, we've got three and one on the way. So. Um... There's plenty of printer time available. Yeah, I got access to four printers here. So um, three of which I can, you know, run for free, one of which I definitely can't. But, uh, yeah, I got uh, printers here. I mean, it wouldn't take that many of us to, you know, turn out hundreds of these things. Well, I'm sure I'd have time to at least 
five, six a week, you know, because every night before I go to bed, just set one, let it go, you know? Yeah, it's a good idea. Thanks. Very cool. Very cool, guys. Um, did you have any more things you wanted to talk about, James? Uh, not that I can think of offhand. Okay. Um, the only thing I wanted to bring up is really it's Jonas's notes from uh, episode eight of the makers. Um, I call it the business plan part that he did, but um, uh, what I did was I sat my son down and I explained to him because I'm not a business savvy fella. Obviously, I'm not a business savvy fella because you know Panos isn't doing great business. Um, but I sat him down and I showed him Jonas's uh bullet points on feasibility inside of the business process design materials pro um pro um deduction and i asked him everything he thinks that we can print and sell on a etsy shop for him go through this list mentally think about things and i said and the whole thing is you don't have all the answers you're not supposed to have all the answers but i want you to at least think about it kind of thing so he made ideas up for about like 16 or 17 different things he could sell um and I said, okay, now let's put these through each of these lists. And he has a separate uh, document for each one of the items where he's looking at it and seeing, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? Um, I'm getting him into the idea. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to Liam's. I believe it was $5 sample rolls buy like two or three of those packs for 30 bucks a piece. So he can have multiple colors to print. So when he prints out his things, he can say, okay, I want to do this in red. I want to do this in blue. I want to do this in green. Instead of right now, we just have a very limited selection of colors. I, I, I want to make sure he can print things in the colors he wants to, to display them on his Etsy shop kind of thing. Um, and I think it's a really good mental place to start. I'll say for anybody who wants to think about doing 3d prints and then create things or CNCing and create them and put them on services like Etsy or eBay or whatever for sale. Um, so I'm going to link basically from our show 11 back to our show eight, where uh, Jonas had this really good list of um, business plan things. I think it's a really good start. My son's getting into the mental aspect of what's needed to do this. Uh, the real goal is I want him to be business savvy more than me uh, before he leaves this house. I think that's a great idea there, Dor, because... I don't think that everybody realizes that you don't, that there is a way of making money off of these hobbies. There is. You got to work at it though. You, nothing comes easy and it's, it's a push. You got to really sell yourself on it. Well, I'll say it like this. I firmly believe empowerment is in all of our grasp. 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was much more difficult. You had to become a, uh, you had to become a, uh, a, uh, a apprentice sometimes for 10, 15 years in order to learn traits, to learn skills, to learn the ability to open up your own shop of whatever sort it was. Uh, I believe today moving forward, every single person is going to have the, the ability with a little bit of um, investment, create things truly unique that no one else can create for a low price and sell them as truly custom creations 
to anybody in the world kind of thing. Um, I don't think this kind of freedom of ability has ever been, you know, in the human experience, if you will. And, and honestly, I think it's going to shape a lot of things in the future. I think our kids' kids are going to think it's perfectly natural to put your creation of any kind, of anything, on a place for sale and actually have the possibility of going viral and becoming actually successful at it. Um, And I just think, you know, for my son to be more educated in that sooner versus then later, I think it'll be just better for him. Oh, definitely. You you look at uh, Craigslist, eBay, Etsy, all those places you can sell stuff. I, I think creativity is what the average person lacks. So with the the products that we can buy at the efficient prices that we buy them at like a 3d printer under 400 bucks you know that can produce high quality stuff and then you take that 3d printer and you make a cnc machine you know with you know i've got about a thousand dollars into mine but that's a little more than needed you know you could probably build the same thing for three four hundred dollars you know, and produce a product. Now you go back 20 years, that same ability to do things would have been ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 just to get started in it. I mean, we can get started at such a efficient price these days and all it takes is just a little creativity and the motivation to go out there and do it. You know, that's the biggest thing is just the motivation to go out there and sell yourself and do it. Yeah, I, I uh, hate to sound like SpongeBob, but all you need is the imagination to just do it. <laughs> yeah, well, some good wisdom has come out of SpongeBob over the years. <laughs> yeah, and I'll say my first short term goal of him is to just get him to feel comfortable in more than just Tinkercad. Uh, Tinkercad's fine for certain things. It's perfectly fine for certain things, but it appears like anything requiring a curved, a curve in Tinkercad comes out looking like it was made in Minecraft. Well, they it, use block design. It's all that weird block CAD. It's not true arcs. It's not true profiling. It's all yeah, STL it's all based. rectilinear. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you want to, um, do some more sort of sculpty stuff with him, um, it sounds a little beyond him, but it's not really, um, the sculpt environment in Fusion 360, um, you know, it'll take him an hour or two to kind of get the hang of it, but it's probably the most simple, intuitive kind of 3D sculpting like out there to introduce your kid to. If he wants to do like more organic shapes and stuff like that, you know, if he wants to make like little characters and things, I mean, it's, it's a bit limited in some of the tools, but that's kind of part of what makes it, uh, you know, usable to a kid. Um, I'd advise the parent to kind of watch a couple of videos on it, uh, see how it works and stuff, play around with it a little bit and sit down with them and show them, you know, how to do it. Because most of the videos are kind of dry, you know, kids not going to want to sit through them and stuff. But uh, the sculpting tools in Fusion are pretty straightforward and pretty simple. Um, although having said that, this website link you put up to this uh, sculpting environment here, 
um, what, 15, 20 minutes ago. Is I'm still playing with it. That's really cool. I'm going to show my kids this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I uh, I um, had my son uh, using like I think uh, it was about three hours from showing him how to use it to actually printing something and the Fusion 360 sculpting environment when he was what eleven. Wow, that sounds really quick to me. Yeah, that Fusion 360 is user friendly that's the best thing about it is it's you 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 hover over a thing and it's going to tell you a little bit about it and whatnot it's i haven't used much of the sculpting stuff because i kind of i know blender a little bit so that's you know but uh that's the best thing about anything that fusion 360 does is they're very easy to use so if he's stuck on tinkercad i'd really suggest just going into fusion 360 and letting him play with it a little bit you know well isn't uh not as i'm just like educated guess isn't fusion 360 supposed to be having a web version here like any day uh yeah i just got an email about that um i think the beta um is already out um that's going to be kind of limited access though i can't remember i think it's just invite but um i'm literally i think in the next week or two they're supposed to roll out the um the web interface very cool yeah and the reason i'm saying that is because right now he doesn't have right now literally we don't have a windows license to put on that computer to be honest um my goal was when he we, when he starts selling stuff, we get him a genuine Windows license. We get him a genuine video card. He can then play games. He can see the reap the rewards of making money, and I'll be able to give him stuff like Fusion three sixty. Yeah, you're you're gonna have to if if you really want to push the kid into and if he is enjoying this type of stuff, you're gonna have to probably go a little little more into it than just tinkercad yeah very cool guys um did you guys have any other topics you wanted to bring up for this show okay uh i thank you guys for coming out uh aaron is going to be back we just have no idea when uh liam has some if i call it larping it makes him really mad but he's going to do some better call it larping then better call larping uh he's going to do some beating the crap out of each other as in a fun way uh, here in about a day or two, so he wants to be for exercise. Sure, yeah, for exercise. Um, to make sure he's really rested up, so he'll he will be back next week. Um, I want to thank you guys for your support. I want to thank everyone for downloading. Thank everyone for sending us email. Oh wait, we're not getting a lot of email. The makers at podnuts.com, M A K E R Z, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make the makers properly spelled just in case that's maybe part of the problem or we're not getting emails. Uh, and do not forget, you can always send us a voicemail 7076-PODNUT uh, or you can send us an audio file and we will play it on the show. Uh, I want to thank everyone again and we will talk to everyone in about a week. <laughs>